Hi everyone, I'm Kristin. I'm an assistant professor at the Christiania University College and I head two programs in innovation and entrepreneurship. And hi, my name is Raya. I'm the founder at Maitea and Maitea is a B2B marketplace bringing SMB startup scale-ups and service providers together. We're hosting these um, interviews with our network of service providers as well as successful founders to share their knowledge, best advice with you. And today we have Eric with us. Eric. Yes, I'm, uh, I'm Eric. I'm uh, the founder and, uh, well, we call ourselves talent sources at Avantgarde Search uh, here in Oslo. Um, we are a specialist recruitment company that only works with tech startups and scale-ups, or like we called it when I recruited in, in the UK, SMB uh, market or SM, SME, we call it. Um, yeah. So to, today we're particularly uh, touching upon the topic of recruitment within uh, SMBs and startups. So uh, our listeners are small business owners as well as HR professionals and other vendors who will want to learn from you. Uh, first of all, let's talk about the startups. When should they recruit and maybe who should they recruit in the beginning? They're always mm -hmm. looking for team members, but when is it the right time to recruit? Yeah, I was thinking a bit about this um, and uh, our experience, you know, meeting so many startups, uh, having met so many startups last uh, last couple of years, it's it's a thing that they're actually very unsure about because not only is it about who you hire in, but it's when to hire, can we afford to hire? And um, I think uh, the, without saying anything, you know, set in stone, I think the best time to recruit is to start off the recruitment process, you know, advertising, speaking to people, when you know you are very likely to get financial backing in the near future. So if you're a startup that are looking for financial backing and it's getting closer to getting that, don't be afraid to start looking for candidates, you know, a month, two or three months before it actually kind of goes live. Um, if you have come a bit further and you you have got uh, the, the, um, uh, the, the financial backing, you know, then it's about starting as soon as you, you feel you need people. But it varies so much because some companies have, for example, developers in, in Poland or in Bangladesh or Ukraine and therefore don't need developers um, in Norway. But, you know, building a startup, if you remain, you know, two, three or four employees for, for four or five years, um, it's going to be harder to attract people in the long run because then you kind of been a, a startup without any any growth in people. So I like to say that when you feel you can afford to, do it. Uh, and we actually had a bit of the same, you know, dilemma ourselves when I started in 2019, there was two of us in, in Oslo and I kind of said, should we hire now? Because we could see the need in the future. And, and the difficulty was to do, if you, if you hire people, then you sleep don't sleep as well at night because you worry yes. more about the cost. Yes. Uh, so I made uh, I made a, a rule to myself that for every time we have six months of um, of liquidity in our bank account, 
anything above that, we would then go and hire. And that was some advice I got from, from different people within the business community that once you've got six months safe in advance, uh, go for it if you want to grow the company. So six months of saving, uh, like that would represent the salary of the new person that would come? Yeah, providing you, you're a company providing business services. It's something, I guess it's something totally different if you're developing some kind of technology. Um, but, but that was my rule. And I think it's important that startups get some own rules themselves and get input from, from different people in the network or ecosystem uh, that have done this before. So the absolute best thing is to look at other startups that's come a bit further, speak to founders, speak to people that you know have been involved in, in building companies and, and try and copy the best because there's far too many startups that don't get anywhere. And um, I think that's a lot to do with, with planning strategically in relation to, to people growth. I do agree that, you know, also when you present to investors, you need to present a team. It's the wrong thing to go to an investor without, I know it's like a weird way of thinking about it for some, because they say, I need the money and then start recruiting. No, actually, you need to have people on your pitch deck and tell the investors, I have potential hires, I have the right profiles, but we need your money to just sign the agreement with them. So, you do. <laughs> Somebody calling you. <laughs> uh, that's a really good point, Brian. And I think that's going back to what I said initially. It's about starting very early, at least speaking to potential candidates that could be interested in six months or, or one yeah. year so that you can show the investors that if you get the money, you're going to build a and team. And that people are also interested in joining your company, that you have a strong vision, that you can actually onboard people and get their interested even before having the money. So that's also a strong skill that is uh, uh, very valued uh, as, a, as a leader and also as a, for investors. And well, maybe, that, step, yeah? There's just timeline in this, you know, the startups, as we were talking, you know, when they have six months, out, you know, you have six months of cash that you could pay salary for. When does this usually happen or when should you make it happen in terms of, years you know are we talking a year two years in your experience when is uh, when does a startup restart recruiting it all depends on on the on the cash you have or, or have access to of course but i think early as long as you you know you can afford it and and put the extra pressure on you and i'm so glad that i got the advice of just taking the small risk it was to hire people. So now we're 14. And if I hadn't done that, we would have ended up, let's say we got some big contracts in with, with comp tech companies that's going to recruit. I would have to say no, because I didn't have the people. And it would take me three, six months to get the people. Mm. Um, and also a bit like Raya said, you know, going out, one thing is presenting to investors, but if you've got a product or technology that you're going to present to potential customers or clients, you know, it, it, it makes it a lot stronger that you can, okay, one thing, show, show the software or the technology, but also we're actually a team. It's not just me yeah. that have developed this app. Mm -hmm. So from a branding perspective, it's both to investors and potential customers, being a team is, is really important. Especially when you talk to large uh, organizations, 
they want to make sure that the time, you know, startups are like so fragile, can die anytime. So for a corporate, it's also a big risk to sign an agreement with you. They want to make sure that, okay, it's not just you, you get sick two days, what happens to the business, that there are other people mm. backing you and can keep on running with the business. So it gives you more credibility when you have more people. I've got uh, just one thing to, to, to put this behind us, I suppose. Good, that's really good. I've, since we started, because we got a good name for ourselves very early, we got a few big companies that came to us and wanted us to put in a tender. Now, typically we don't work with big companies, but when a type of DMB or Telenor comes to you, it's, you know, you kind of want to try and do it. And and the three companies we, we've been bidding to, to get in with, they've really liked us, but they couldn't take the risk of using a small company in case we as a small company, everyone became ill or we went yeah. bankrupt. So that really proves your point. Mm -hmm. uh, just because the, some of the listeners are also at an earlier stage, uh, then I would love to talk about later stage companies, how they work with you. Uh, for startups, what's when they don't have the money to pay, what's your advice there? How do they recruit team members? Um, and that's uh, typically, uh, you know, most startups can't afford using, a, you know, a, a recruiter. And, uh, and uh, but there are some things they, they can do. Um, and it's all about, you know, profiling themselves or, and marketing the positions, but in the right way. Um, there are some options, you know, like we all know, like Ping.no or E24 or shifter or whatever it may be uh, and you can get the price quite low these days uh, because of the situation we're in um, they need to generate money so i get uh, you know i've been negotiating with all of these advertising platforms and at least got a price in half to what they used to be what do you mean so the, one what thing is price what is this price that they have to pay and how much is that i'd say if you if you were going to hire, for example, a digital marketing manager, I'd say it would be enough to spend 15,000, as in one five, 15,000. You could, for example, then get it on Shifter and on Finn, or you could almost get it, if you went a couple of thousand next week, you get it on Shifter, E24 and Finn. Uh, if you wanted more specialized, like Campania, which is very useful for marketing people. It's a bit more. I think it's about fifteen thousand. And the same for developers. If you wanted to use Code Twenty Four, it's also fifteen thousand. Uh, okay. But then you could argue that if you needed a developer, it's better to use fifteen thousand on Code Twenty Four as opposed to yeah. Finn. But is it isn't it better to just go? Like I mean, for me as a startup. I have no idea which website to go to. You know, right now I just use for, because I'm very early stage company, I just go to the hub.io to startup matcher. I go to my network, I ask people if they can recommend somebody. Yeah, and, um, absolutely. And I, I kind of did this in, in the wrong order, but, um, but just to put it behind this, advertising is an opportunity, particularly for technical people. It doesn't always, well, it doesn't tend to yield the right results. But what is very good in, particularly in Norway today, there are so many platforms to advertise on that either is free of charge or doesn't cost a lot. Why, um, doesn't, it, why doesn't it yield the right result? What do you mean by that? I think that's simply because 
very technical people, software developers, they, they're in so high demand that uh, if you were a software developer, you could walk out on the street almost today and get 10 jobs. <laughs> mm -hmm. So uh, so that's why it doesn't yield good enough results. Mm -hmm. But if, if you look at the three things uh, we have to, to market a position, um, you know, first of all, you have social media. A lot of people think that, okay, to advertise a position, we need to spend money on spreading this on Facebook or on um, or on LinkedIn or, or Instagram. But if you make a bit of a strategy behind it, and we've, to be fair, become very good on this, you can reach out to more or less everyone in Norway anyway. So let's say, for example, Raya, you guys were hiring a person. If you thought, okay, sit down, find 20 people in my network that I know have a big network that I know would help me in spreading yeah. this. Yeah. Send out an email to them and just ask yeah. them, would you mind sharing this on LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram? And if 20 people share something, mm -hmm. I'd like to say you typically would reach out to all of Norway. So when yeah. we have positions with clients, we send a social media plan yeah. uh, to show how and what they're going to share. Yeah. So social media, you don't need to spend the money. Yeah. And I don't think we've ever spent money on advertising a position on Facebook or Instagram. And I'd say we only do it on LinkedIn one out of 10 times. Mm -hmm. We still reach out to everyone. So that's social media. But then you have some really unique things um, like you have the hub or hub uh, where typically startups are uh, have a profile where you can advertise free of charge. Um, I think you can do the same on things like Startup Matcher. Mm -hmm. um, and, and obviously these pages won't necessarily yield, you know, 100, 200 applicants, but that's not what you want. Mm -hmm. But they can give you the one and only right candidate. And when it's free, and when, when it's so easy to create your own profile, put positions out, you know, that's something we typically would do sometimes two weeks before we actually use paid advertisement. But I have um, a question. One thing is to reach out and find them, which is what we're discussing now, which is, of course, super important about finding the right platform. But what about the content, you know, in it? What is Because that's also part of what the problem is for these startups. One thing is to have enough money to advertise or even use a recruitment agency to have a proper strategy on it. But what do they offer these people what's you know <laughs> yeah. yeah so you're talking about what what they you're not talking about how they write the adverts or do you talk or, both actually how they write it and what yeah. they how they profile it and do you advise people on that is that part of your job you know making it attractive yeah i mean um, one thing when we set out in 2019 we we said loud and clear that we kind of want to disrupt the industry or our recruitment industry because it is very conservative if you read a, a job advertisement now, that be in a technical position or management position, they're written in the same way as they were, you know, 30 years ago. Mm. That's a bit strange and a bit scary. So we tried ourselves to think, how can we differ? But at the same time, I've seen some startups just created some awesome adverts and awesome visual kind of posters that a recruiter in our industry would never dream of being able to make. They could make it. And it, there's so many ideas out there that if, if a startup takes themselves the freedom to think, okay, let's make it cool, 
visual type poster to share, or let's write this in a bit of a different way. Um, you know, if you're willing to think a bit new, I suppose, your advert will stand out. Yeah. Now, for us, um, when we write adverts on behalf of clients, we go away and do oh. it. But we obviously have to have it somewhat in line with, with the client's brand. Yeah. If you have a, a, a very technical type school startup, bit hipsterish, if you like, then that's how you write it. If it's a more corporate kind of technology company, you may write it more corporately. But when we recruit for ourselves, and people feel free to go into avant-garde search and, and look at our own advert for talent sources, we just take it so far out. And we put out our uh, advertisement on, only on Bay and on Christiania and NTNU. And that's all we need to do to attract people because they come and say, this is by miles the best advert, or I was laughing my head off when I read the advert, et cetera, et cetera. So try and be creative, and there are no rules. Yeah. There are no rules, and I think startups out there who can't afford or don't want to spend the money on people like us, do it your own way. Don't go in and look on what other people are writing on Finn. Write it your own way, and I actually think they them could be better than mine. You have to bring authenticity, innovation, your unique value proposition uh, to be different from the others and stand yeah. out. That makes sense. Like just, a, I think it was um, just an example. I saw a company here um, uh, who uh, had put out, you know, you got that uh, film series called The Mag Magnificent Seven. They were only six. They're going to join, have the seven. They took the head off kind of one of the characters and said, is this you? I mean, that's just one example. But there's so many cool things. So take the freedom to to try out things. Do you think uh, uh, recruitment agencies... Uh... How can they? How can they dare to be different and think outside the box? Do you think they are stuck a little bit in a corporate framework? It's not so, maybe not corporate framework, but it's. I believe, hands on, the reason why the industry hasn't changed much is because there has been so much money spent on processes and tools within the recruitment industry. So, as you guys know, everything now. Uh, not just in the tech sector, even in public sector, there's talk of agile, uh, agile organizations, agile project management, and of course, software development and, and so forth. But for a recruitment company to jump on the agile bandwagon, they have to ditch all the processes and tools they spend money on. Yep. And I don't think that will change for a long time. And I think the only way will change if, if we were, touch wood, to become huge, then people would see that the agile principles and values is relevant to recruitment. So there isn't going to be a lot of change, but thankfully there are a few companies, including ourselves, there's a few others as well, that are not really well, that are kind of trying to disrupt a bit and, and do it in a more modern way, I suppose. Mm. Could you describe a bit what that agility is in your sector? How is it to be disruptive in your sector? What do you what do you do different then? Well, I think the the main thing is just to take the recruit just the traditional headhunters profile uh, processes and tools and just tear it apart and start from scratch, and then implementing or follow agile values and principles. So there's twelve agile principles, 
we've come up to that you can incorporate eight of them in recruitment, but um, I'm hoping we can do the other four, uh, but I'm not good enough with, with, uh, with Agile yet. But tearing everything apart and do it in a way where the company, when we talk about SMB startup scale-ups, where the company is actually more involved early in the process. You know, a standard process today is typically meet the researcher at the recruitment company, meet one of the partners if you're lucky enough, go for a test at the recruitment company, and then have your first meeting with the potential employee, but also where the recruiter is. And, you know, this process can take eight, nine, 10, 12, 13 weeks. But why doesn't it make sense to put the candidate in touch with the client very early? If one of you were applying for a job through me with company X, you're not that interested in me, are you really? You're more interested in where you're gonna work. So we said, we're gonna have a chat with the candidate early. That's gonna be an informal conversation, more, more, um, more for us to actually sell the opportunity to the candidate. And if that goes well, the next meeting should be an informal meeting with the potential employee. And rather than an interview, it should be much more like an informal get to know one another. So a perfect recruitment process would take four weeks the way we work, if there is candidates available. So why make it 12, 13, 14, 15 weeks just because you then follow a process and you use all the, the fine tools that you spend hundreds of thousands on? Because shortly, but what benefit does it do apart from you shorten the time? But do you also find different candidates? Is it more kind of does that other qualitative dimensions to it? I, th I think the, the biggest, biggest positive with doing it agile is that you have you don't end up losing too many candidates in the process. So, like I said, software developers could get 10 jobs if they put out a note on LinkedIn that I'm looking for a job. So, let's say I found a software developer today, you know. Over the next six, seven, eight weeks, that developer is going to get so many opportunities. So if we can get her or him in with the client early, can get that person bust in or motivated working for the company, after two or three weeks, he or she's got the job, and then you secure them. So you lose so many candidates. It, it's unreal. If you have too slow or or two detailed, long, 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 date, outdated processes. And to go back, maybe to talk a little bit about your business model. Uh, how, how, how do you work with your clients? How does it, is, how are you organizing your relationship? So if, um, if it was a brand new client, uh, to use that as an example, we will, uh, we'll get a confirmation from them that they want to use us to recruit the CFO, just use an example. Mm -hmm. um, we will then have a startup meeting. Uh, in that case, it would be with a CEO, uh, maybe HR as well, or a COO. And we would spend about 90 minutes going through the position in detail, as in the need, uh, in relation to cultural fit, education, background, and so forth. We would then also spend a bit of time with other employees. And the good thing pre-COVID, we, we could get a tour around the building, we could meet people, call it further down the system, so we could really get a good understanding of the company and be in a good position to sell or present the company. 
What we do somewhat different after that is that we spend quite a lot of time on making a prospect, which I like to say is an information and sales document to candidates. Because we believe that the best candidates need to be, it's not about what they can give us, it's about what we and our client can give them. So our role becomes very much a sales role to attract the best people. And this prospect is, is actually, it's good, but I've been able to make it with some PowerPoint skills, but no one else does it. And I get really good feedback on these prospects. And for me, it's like, what? why don't more people make him a bit more than just the email or word of We then, if you were interested in this position, we would then speak to you uh, on video or face-to-face, -face, um, which would be a mixture between them get to know each other, selling the opportunity and interview a bit. And if you were good then, for example, Raya, we would present you to the client and say, have a meeting with Raya make it informal, make it a get to know each other. And after that, we can all speak and see if we should enter a more structured or formal process. Because our job first, together with our client, is to get you really interested in this so that we can move on to a second stage interview, maybe a case, and not at least so that you will say yes when you get the offer. And all this can happen in... It can happen in three weeks. It may take eight weeks. You know, it depends on, on, on candidates' availability. And when do you get paid? Um, how so much get do pay you get paid? I would like the details. Um, it, it yeah, yeah, it varies very uh, in the industry. Um, I like to, when, when companies ask us about where, where we fit in, I kind of say we're in the middle. We're certainly not the cheapest. We're certainly not the most expensive. Typically, in our industry, and this again going back to, to to how it always been, a recruiter would charge three times. So they charge one amount when you start the process, you charge one amount when you delivered five, six, seven, eight candidates, and you charge the final third when candidate has signed. We want to do it a bit differently. We do charge a small fee upfront, but we say, of course, we don't charge when we delivered candidates. But first of all, the job isn't done. Because, you know, we don't know if any of these candidates will get the job. But also, because of the agile principles, we don't, we don't work on a project. And then in week six, we deliver 10 candidates. I would deliver one to you tomorrow if I had one. And maybe it'd be one next week. So it doesn't make sense with our agile model. And so we take two thirds at the end. There are some companies that are now doing what we call no cure, no pay, or no cure, no fee, uh, which could be very handy for startups because then you don't pay unless you find a candidate. And um, when I worked in England, that's almost 95% of recruitment industry in England work on no cure, no pay. In Norway, it's probably the opposite. It's something we're looking at in certain areas. We may build up the no cure, no pay team. I don't think this year, but next year. And there's also some companies, Norwegian companies now, that are working that way. And I think, again, that's a bit cool because it challenges yeah. the old way. Yeah. Cost-wise, if you're looking for, you know, I think if you were looking for a software developer, I think you have to pay between 100 and 200,000. Uh, if you were looking for a senior management candidate, Strangely, you have to pay more 
but to me that's I'd say it's ridiculous because it's much easier. So the old model of okay, the higher up in the system, the more you pay is actually should be the other way. So let's make it concrete. I'm looking, let's say I'm looking for a CMO. I will be looking for a CMO in a few months. Okay. So uh, where do we start? Uh, apart from the job description and so on, in terms of uh, payment, commission and so on, how much is it based on the salary of the future CMO? How do we? Yeah, so, so you and me, of course, before before you're given the green light, before we have the start of meeting, we've, we've agreed the commercial aspect. Uh, we offer you two things. We can either agree a fixed fee, so, for argument's sake, to make it easy, let's say hundred thousand, or based on what? Why hundred thousand? Based on the salary of the CMO? Based yeah, on what? Well, maybe it's easy to do the other way. We can agree a percentage fee based on an anticipated salary. So let's say that salary was one million, just to yeah. to make it easy. Um, and let's say we agreed a percentage fee of seventeen and a half percent, aka one hundred seventy-five thousand. But maybe we agreed up front that actually, let's agree a fixed price. So let's agree 150,000. Um, some companies, or is this different from a client to another? Like the 17%, is it, uh, why 17 and not 15 or? Yeah, so, so we have different, we have, for, we have a set price for early startups, okay. where there's one price for developers and one price for anything else. We have a fixed price or, or a set percentage of fixed price with, with bigger companies, so what we call scale-ups. And of course, if it's a client that, that where we get a lot of repeat business, uh, obviously they use that to negotiate it down. But whether we charge a fixed fee or a percentage fee is entirely up to what the company is preferring, comfortable with. Um, so I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, we'll be hiring a CMO. Let's say a CMO salary would be 600000 is that fair, first of all, or no? CMO, 600,000. Yeah, for a, for a startup company, no. I'd say yes. Um, That's quite high, actually. <laughs> yeah, you Eric, no, in your process, do you get into the, uh, one thing is salary, but that's often, you know, just part of the package in the startup. Well, often it could be even lower than that. They don't really have enough cash flow for that, mm. but it might be ownership or it might be, you know, or potential ownership in the yeah. future. Um, do you get involved in that process or do you advise in that process or where do you stand? Um, we don't, uh, formally or officially, we don't advise. And that's simple to me. Our job is recruitment, that's what we know. And we should be careful of, of suddenly becoming management consultants mm. and give advice to someone that could potentially jeopardize the business. Mm. Uh, a lot of people in our in, in recruitment industry say they're also advisors, but I think that's a bit. It, it could have negative implications for the company. Yeah. But obviously, we can tell you as a client what we hear or what we experience from other companies. Mm. But um, and we can also tell the client, okay, if we're going to make a list of the top ten things you can offer, and we of course go through all that. But whether I should say to Raya that when hiring CMO, you need to give them 5% ownership in the business, it's not my place yeah. to do. So let's, say, let's say in our company, we offer 600,000 with some equity. But what uh, is important for you is to know that it's 600,000. Then uh, what kind of commission do we have in that case? What's the percentage for a 600,000 salary? 
So, so you would get, uh, because you're a startup, we have a fixed fee uh, that is percentage wise is 15%, but never any lower than 90,000. So effectively you could, if you negotiated with us and whatever the salary may be, you know that you could potentially get it down to 90,000. Uh, but if you needed a developer, it'd be 140, 150,000. If you needed, um, yeah, so that typically, if you needed a person in sales, or my, in sales, it would be 120,000. So we have different levels okay. of different types okay. of positions. Okay. So the most expensive to recruit is developers. Yeah. Okay. And that, uh, okay, so it's, uh, you said maybe it's 140, right? Uh, for a developer. For a developer, yeah, through us. Yeah, and this is the uh, when do I pay you? And is it at the end when I have recruited the developer that I pay you 140? No, so you pay me one third in advance, 35 percent in advance, and then you pay the 65 percent once that person is uh, signed. And then, of course, there's a guarantee in there if the if the person quits within X amount of time, we have to redo it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Okay. So, if you for a startup, that's important because if you hire the person paid us 140,000, that person quit after two weeks, you know, but that's not good business-wise or financially. So we always give that guarantee that if we, if you lose the person within X amount of time, we will redo it for you at no cost. How much do you work with the, um, with you know, your customers in terms of the people you're recruiting? How well do you know these people that, you know, the developers, for example, do you, so you can, I don't know, target them correctly or, you know, seduce them in a super convincing way? Um, well, one, we, we're still working on it because no one has cracked the, you know, no one has found the right way to recruit developers yet in Norway. Two years ago, LinkedIn was a great platform, but if you're a software developer now, you may get 10, 15 inquiries a week from recruiters. So a lot of developers have simply getting sick of it. And some people have even written like a hashtag on their profile, recruiters do not contact. <laughs> now, the ones we contact on LinkedIn, we try and be very, you know, just nice. It's not a formal email, it's more, hey, how are you doing? I know you're being snowed. I know you're getting loads of inquiries, but would you want to check this prospect? You know the long email, the long messages, and say, "Can you come and meet me for a for an interview?" I mean, yeah. everyone would say no, or they wouldn't answer. But there are other ways as well. So we we have decided to, and we started to have a team that only recruit developers. So Lotte Hege and Albany, and in the long term, we want them to use different methods to to be at the heart of the developers. In Oslo. Mm. So if you're a developer and you started to think, okay, I'm working in Telia, I could be interested in something else, you should think straight away, not the Albanit or Hege. And what we're doing to get there is loads of different things, but we were actually going to have what you would typically refer to as a hackathon, but we changed it to a recathon, rec for recruitment, and we're going to have next Thursday for 24 hours and come up with some brand new ways of doing it um, but we can't do that now because we wanted to be together so we may do it digitally but like Loft is going to start building up a YouTube channel where 
uh, which is going to be called Loftus Learning to Code, in the hope the developers will be in there, uh, helping her, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I just hope that my guys come up with some really cool ideas, because I think I'm outdated on this, because it's, it's often a younger group of people you're trying to reach out to. Oh. Don't know if that answered your question. No, no, absolutely, it does. Mm. Uh, well, I think we have quite covered quite a lot uh, for a first uh, interview. Thank you so much, Eric. Do you have? No, thanks for the opportunity. Really, um, really nice to to speak to you. Obviously, I knew Uriah a bit from um, uh, from before, but uh, I love talking about these things. And um, I think for a, just to kind of summarize for for startups, I'd say start to think about it early. Uh, put your feelers out there. You know, you may not be recruiting now, but you may be in three to six months. For scale-ups, it's much more a branding exercise. You constantly need to be out there in different channels um, to say that we are recruiting. Yeah. Um, and yeah, scale-ups or SMBs, whatever you like to call it. Um, and thankfully, it is possible for a startup to get good people providing you package it right and present it right, because some people would much rather work for a startup as opposed to an Equin or Telenor, DMB, whatever you, you have it. So um, believe in it. Don't always use a recruiter just because you think that's the best way. Um, try first. And if you get stuck, maybe you have to come to someone like me or others. There is a time for everything. In the beginning, try to bootstrap even the recruitment process because you can't afford it. No, and exactly. You have the finances and uh, you need to actually focus on keeping your business up and running, then uh, go to you, for example. And, yep. and there are so many price levels. Yep. You know, we're in the middle. If you think you can get a result by someone cheaper, you know, do that. Well, you can pay more. So I'm not, uh, not going to sell myself so much or our company, uh, it's more about just giving neutral or objective advice. And if you don't really feel the need of recruitment after year three, maybe that's a bit of a warning sign that your business isn't really going anywhere. It could be. I'm no, I'm no expert on that, but it, but it could be. It, it does depend a bit on, on what you are, kind of what technology you are de developing, but typically that's kind of the rule. And one thing we didn't touch on that, I can with pretty great confidence say, if you look at the companies that have been startups, there are the scale-ups now, or they may have even come further. You know, there's a lot of them around here in, I'm looking around in, in Oslo. They've been very good at hiring some people on sales or marketing very early on. A lot of companies that have failed have just sat there, developed technology, developed technology, and got so hooked on that. But forgot about hang on a minute we need to take this out to the market it's like else, no business that's but, my emotion. yeah so no. one of our biggest clients uh, air things they have uh, a team they're 100 now and they have a team of 29 people within sales and marketing yeah. uh, and you see how big uh, they come i think the same with cognite uh, without me knowing them so well uh, yeah, get people commercially early on. They're like 500. I know I worked with Frederick and Finson when we were at Share My 3D. Ah. And, uh, 
yeah. I was part of the co-founding team and Shema 3D was acquired by Cognet. Ah. I bumped into him uh, in the neighborhood and they are like 500 or 600. So that's yeah, amazing. I recruited a couple of people for them four, four years ago or whatever it was, there were like 18 people or something. And there's, Incredible and, uh, and there's other companies following suit. So um, you have to sell and, and get, you can't just live on investors forever. Yeah, no, 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 you have to, investors, you know, it's also a tough market for startups. There's so many startups raising money. Investors, it's like developers, they're getting so many requests. You have to stand out. You have to show tractions from the start. Actually, you have to show sales even before launching. You have to figure it out. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Like you, we also touched a bit on on earlier. Um, it's a bit of a shame it's like that, but obviously investing into a startup is more riskier than a scale-up. So the scale-ups now have very easy access to, to cash. Investors are, you know, whether that be 10 million, 50 million, 500 million, you know, a lot of them um, go on the, the stock exchange, stock market as well to raise money. So, but for startups, it's a bit of a shame. It is difficult, but if you've got a good enough idea and you can prove that you're going to make money, then you should get it. Yep. Thank you so much, Eric. That's uh, a good final word, I think, yep. for the day. Thank you very thank much. Thank you for inviting me. Thank and uh, good to meet you for the first time, Christine. Nice uh, to meet you. Let's stay in touch. And uh, we can have a football conversation when we don't have Raya here. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Super. Okay.